So let's, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to a place that we probably don't go very often, uh, and that is the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. So if you need to peek at the table of contents, no one's going to judge you, so that's fine. Um, if you go kind of the center of your Bible to Psalms uh, and then start turning to the right a few pages, uh, you'll get uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Psalm, and then you get to the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Lamentations is a little five-chapter book uh, stuck between uh, two large prophetic books there, the book of Lamentations. Um, I, I've already kind of shared with you why I want to go here, and I, I hope that it's not a depressing study. I hope that it's a study that actually is helpful. Um, Guys, uh, maybe we're doing some house project, some car project, and uh, one of the worst things to happen when you're working on a project is to recognize that you need a specialty tool and you don't have that tool. And so, what, what, guys, what do we do when that happens? We need a specialty tool, we don't have the tool. What we should do is stop, go to the store, get the tool we need, or put it on Amazon, wait a day or two. But what, what do we often do? We use a hammer. That's right. No, we 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 improvise, right? And and, and again, that that can that can be a wise thing to do. But but often, uh, too many of us have looked back on a project and said, you know, if I had just had the right tool for the job, then um, it probably would have gone better than it did. And uh, so when we think about dealing with hard things, specifically things like grief and sorrow and mourning uh, and lamenting. Often, I feel like in the Christian life, it's like we don't have the right tool for the job. We, we, don't, we don't know what we're supposed to do, and so what we try to do is improvise. And in improvising, in dealing with those things, you know, sometimes it goes okay, but sometimes it goes really lousy, and, and we end up making the problem worse because we don't know what God wants to do with it. Now, now none of us wants to talk about what do you do with unpleasant things, right? Well, that is, we, we'd much rather talk about other things. But again, uh, this side of heaven, we are going to bump into brokenness every day. Sometimes little frustrations like it hasn't rained and my grass is dead. Um, all the way to my sister passed away. Our son-in-law has a serious uh, seizure disorder or cancer um, or, you know, these heavy people issues of of medical need or an accident or a relational hurt, right? And and those are things that God cares about. And, you know, one one of the ways we know that this is God's word and that God cares about us is that when we open the Bible, we don't read about Disneyland, where everything's happy and there's a song and, and there's food. We read in the Bible about the same hard things that you and I go through in our lives. Uh, you know, the time is different, the culture's different, the history's different, but the experiences are the same. The, the hardness of the difficulties are the same. And God has not left us to say, hey, well, you guys chose to sin and that brought the curse on humanity and, and yeah, yeah, Jesus is going to take care of heaven, but until you get there, good luck. Now, we have a heavenly Father 
who cares about our needs. Uh, we looked at Psalm 56 a couple of Sundays ago, how he takes even the tears that we shed and keeps them in a bottle. You say, well, what's that? It means he's mindful of those hard moments of life when we're hurting. And, and not only is he mindful, he wants to draw near to us in those moments. He wants to give us instruction and tools and, and ways of dealing with those hard things. You know, the other thing, have you noticed, not only do we not know how to deal with unpleasant, hard things, difficulties, griefs, um, have you noticed that, that our culture um, doesn't know how to do this any better? Um, if, if you're 30 years old or younger, probably the cultural notion that you've heard is that you should run away from unpleasant feelings at all costs. If you're sad, go figure out a way to be happy. If you're grief-stricken, distract yourself by buying something, right? It's like the younger generations especially uh, really struggle with unpleasant feelings, with hard things. And they're running to all sorts of things that are unhelpful to try to deal with that. Now, now those of us that are older, you know, maybe we have a few better ways, but you know, we're not really any better in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you think of Dwayne and Fran's generation, and um, they, they know how to deal with hard things a lot better than those of us that are younger. Um, but regardless of, of what our generation might be, our disposition might be, we recognize that the culture is not doing this very well. Uh, we don't know how to handle sadness and grief and sorrow. We're medicating everything uh, so that there's a sort of emotional flat line, and that, that's viewed as normality today. That's not good either. Not that there isn't a time for, for medicine or, or doctors and whatnot, but, but that the Bible says the reality in a broken world is you and I are going to deal with things like sadness and grief and mourning and sorrow and difficulty. And rather than run away from those things or distract yourself in some way or you know, sort of self-medicate through, through alcohol or drugs or other addictions or video games. You know, there's, there's a thousand ways we, we can self-medicate ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And the Bible says, no, 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 you, 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 that, that's the wrong way of doing it. I want to show you a better way of dealing with heavy, hard things. And one of the things, one of the ways that God teaches us a better way is through something we call Lamentation. Okay, so you have the book in front of you. Um, I just want to read a little bit, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of back into the background and some other things that are on your outline here. Just just look with me at Lamentations chapter one, verse one. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess amongst the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks, but she has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude 
She dwells amongst the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. Just stop right there. Do you hear the minor key? This is not a happy book. We have just opened up to the opening lines of a funeral. The book of Lamentations is a funeral service. It's a book about grief and sorrow. And and we might say, well, who died? Right? What are we mourning over? What are we grieving over? Just looking at the text there, uh, who's the funeral for? Jerusalem. The capital city of the nation of Judah. The southern kingdom in the broader nation of Israel. Um, and, and, And... how, how did Jerusalem die? Like, what does that mean? Well, we look back at verse 3, and Mr. Jeremiah tells us, Judah has gone into exile under affliction. Can you imagine that? Jerusalem at its peak, right? You've got the temple, you've got the priests, you've got the people of God, the sacrificial system, God with His people. Um, can you think of anything better? And now Jeremiah looks out at the city and he goes, there's nobody there. There's no singing, there's no shouting, there's no sound of children in the roads, um, there's no rejoicing, there's no commerce, there's no religious services. He says, it's a lonely city. Once full is now empty. Um, and we can imagine um, what that must have been like for Jeremiah. Now, now why... Has Jerusalem been destroyed? Why have the people gone into exile? Give me a little bit of background here. It's God's judgment. God's judgment. Uh, and, And why would God judge His own people, His own city, His own temple? Why would He obliterate it? Why would He do that? Yeah. Decade after decade, even century after century of the people of God adulterating their worship, going after other gods, breaking the law of God, turning away from His instructions. And you know that God brought a series of prophets to call the people back, right? You're going the wrong way. You're going for destruction. If you, if you don't change, God is going to bring divine discipline. He's going to have to you know, use... Hard means to steer you back. Year after year, these prophets would preach. And what did they do? They mocked the prophets. They killed some of them. They ran them out of the city. They accused them of ill motives. And the bottom line is they didn't listen. And uh, you'll remember that at this time in history, the, the collective nation of Israel has divided. That was one of the things that happened as the people moved away from God they actually broke up. There was a, a civil war of sorts to where now you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And that northern kingdom had prophets that called out to it to repent. They didn't repent. So God brought the uh, greatest nation in the world in that day, the nation of Assyria, who came to that northern kingdom, invaded them, destroyed the city, and took many of the people that didn't die back to Assyria as their slaves. And uh, and now the Assyrian Empire is looking down at this one little plot of real estate 
that is, is not conquered yet. And that was the southern kingdom of Judah. As you know, um, in that time, another empire arose and they took over the Assyrians. You remember what empire that was? The Babylonians, that's right. So now Babylon is the superpower and they're looking at that same piece of real estate going, we want it. And um, the prophets preached, Isaiah, others, um, Jeremiah preaching to that southern kingdom. And um, they resisted, they resisted. God said, you keep resisting, judgment is coming. And then finally the day came. Uh, In the fall of 586 B.C., the walls surrounding Jerusalem were breached. And the Babylonians invaded. And they killed people, they killed children. Uh, they destroyed the wall around the city. Remember, that's what, that's what Nehemiah is going to rebuild down the road. And that, that pinnacle that represented God with His people, the, the great temple that Solomon built, uh, was utterly destroyed. And not just destroyed, but you remember the Babylonians actually stole a lot of the gold, a lot of the goods. Remember Belshazzar's feast in Daniel, where he brings out the... The, um, the utensils from the, the uh, Solomon's temple. Uh, and they took, uh, killed a bunch of people, destroyed everything, took a whole bunch of people back to Babylon. You remember Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, let's see. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel all were, were some of the young men that went back there. So there it is, guys. The city's on fire in shambles, dead people everywhere. Uh, We read in Lamentations that even cannibalism was a temptation because there was no food, there was no water. And there's the prophet. How long had Mr. Jeremiah labored to call these people to repentance? Do you remember? Over four decades, over 40 years. How many people listened to him? Would you do that? We're going to look at the call of Jeremiah in a minute. And God goes to Jeremiah and He says, uh, I'm calling you to be my spokesman. But here's the deal. No one's going to listen. I want you to build a house, guys, but you're never going to finish the house. I want you to fix this car, but you're never going to figure out what's wrong with it. I want you to build this computer system. I want you to heal this person and you're, you're going to fail, okay? Do you want to sign up? Jeremiah said yes. He said, if that's the job you have for me, God, I'll do it. So day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, for over 40 years, that's what, three times your age back there, right? That's a long time. He preached... He preached, he was faithful, and in the end, how does Jeremiah conclude his ministry? He writes Lamentations. We picture Jeremiah looking down on the city, it's burning, it's on fire, dead bodies everywhere. Jeremiah picks up his pen and he writes a funeral for the city and the people that he loved. That's the book. Um, Look at the title. Uh, look at your Bible. What's the title in your Bible? What, what, what's it? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, the sorrows of Zion. My Bible says the lamentations of Jeremiah. Is that what your Bible says? Something like that. Do you know what the Hebrew title for this book is? If you've read your study notes, maybe MacArthur or somebody has given you some insight. What's the Hebrew title for the book? Do you know? It's how. Look, it's often the title of Old Testament books is just the first word of the book. So the book of Genesis, uh, the, the title book of Genesis is in the beginning, Bereshit. That's in the beginning. The title of this book is how, as in, how could this happen? How can this be? I don't get it. And you say, well, why would God title his book like that? Because that's exactly what you and I sound like when we're struggling like this. We ask those questions. How could this happen? Why did this happen? I don't understand this. I, I don't get this. It, right? it, it's, when we're in grief and sorrow, what comes out of our heart is what? Question marks. How? Why? I don't understand. I don't get it. That's the title of this book. How? Um, all right, let's, let's catch up here with the, the notes here, okay? So that, that's kind of where we're at as we, we come to this book here. Um, our, our author... Uh, we'll talk about, uh, how many have heard of the grief, the, the, the five stages of grief? Heard the grief cycle? Grief process, stages of grief? You know where that comes from? We'll do a little psychological history lesson here, okay? Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a ungodly, secular um, psychologist, I guess you'd call her, of a previous generation who spent most of her career watching people die or in the late stages of illnesses leading to death. And she made a bunch of observations about what people are like as they grieve over their future death. And she put those together in a series of stages and propagated the system that we call grief stages today. And... Um, uh, and the idea is, when you're sad or grieving, if you're going to come out the other side of your grief healthy and whole, you have to walk through these stages and in a particular order. And you've probably heard something of that, right? And, of course, she had five stages. Modern psychology has added two additional stages to hers. But you hear this everywhere. And I think when we're struggling, popular culture kind of brings these thoughts to mind. Like, oh, I, 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 you know, okay, you got to go through stages of grief and I'll pray for you. And, and the reality is um, when we're struggling with grief, why would we follow an atheistic, secular, non-Christian who doesn't believe the Bible, who doesn't believe in God? Why would we look to that for guidance on how to grieve? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense, does it? Now, now, some of her observations, you know, denial, anger, depression, acceptance, we, we could say, well, yeah, sometimes people do respond like that, right? But, but guys, here's what we don't want to do, and this is what our world does. They take observation and turn it into uh, guidance. Or we might say it like this. They turn description into prescription. They watch what people do, and then they say, well, that's what we ought to do. 
And the reality is, I don't think that fallen people studying other fallen people is the way to come out to, hey, how, how should we handle this, right? What we should do is say, let's go to the maker. Let's go to God himself who guides us and directs us with his sufficient word and say, okay, when hard things happen, how should we handle that? Okay, you can hear me saying I'm, I'm going to push back against the, the grief stages here. Not, not because people don't actually do some of these things, but because that is not God's prescription for handling your sadness. Okay, and in fact, even some of the things that uh, she's going to say in her book and, and popular psychology has expanded upon are actually very ungodly ways of handling grief. So we're going we're gonna to turn away from that to a better model, okay? Mr. Jeremiah, he's our author. He was called by God to prophesy to the nations. If you're in Lamentations, just back up into the book of Jeremiah. Go to the, back to the very beginning of Jeremiah chapter 1. And uh, let me show you his call. His call to ministry. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. And it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So that tells us right there the span of Jeremiah's ministry. It starts in the 13th year of Josiah. It ends there in the um, 11th year of Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah before the exile. Okay, So that's the span of Jeremiah's ministry. Now watch this, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And we, we can pull the car over and put a footnote to talk about life and where life begins and, and how God knows us. And we, we could do all that, right? But that's for another day. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have pointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms. Now watch this. Here's here's the description of his ministry. To pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And he goes on to describe the rejection of, of God's people in the latter half of chapter 1 into chapter 2, talking about their apostasy there. So Jeremiah was called to prophesy to the nations, but especially to that southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. He preached in the reign of Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, the kings of Judah. He ministered for over four decades. As best as we can tell, this is uh, 625 is about the time that he began his ministry, that 13th year of Josiah. And then the the... The Babylonian um, destruction of Jerusalem came in three waves. The first in 605, the last in 586. So 586 is when they breached the walls, destroy the city, destroy the temple. So over four decades of ministry there for Mr. Josiah or Mr. Jeremiah. Now, 
you feel like you're at the eye doctor looking at an eye chart? Okay, I know you can't see that. Some of you have seen this when I went through Isaiah. I didn't put it in your notes because I can't find copyright information and I don't like to put things in your notes that I don't have permission to give you. Okay, so sorry about that. You can Google this and look at it if you want. So this is a chart of the kings and prophets of Israel and Judah. So the yellow is the northern kingdom kings, the nation of Israel. The green is the southern kingdom kings. And then we have, I know you can't see this, but the red letters are, these are secular foreign leaders. So the kings of Assyria, and then later on the kings of Damascus and Babylon and and Medes and the Persians, all that. Um, Anyway, and then right in the middle, these are the prophets in biblical books. So Elijah, Micaiah, Jehu, here's the book of Hosea, Jonah, and so on and so forth. And then, so the chart kind of starts here and goes this way, and then it continues down here because they ran out of paper. So I'm going to zoom in. So hopefully you can read this a little better, okay? So here's, here's our timeline. We're in B.C., guys, so that means we're counting down, right? These are the um, Assyrian kings leading to the fall of Nineveh. These are the kings of Persia, Cyrus and whatnot. Um, and then you can see um, the, the kings of Babylon right here. So you recognize some of these names, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, whatnot, okay? So this is kind of what's going on in the foreign nations This is what's going on in the biblical uh, times. So you see we have the the kings of Judah, right? The the northern kingdom is gone. Assyria took them away. So now we just have a southern kingdom. So Manasseh, Ammon, and then here's the three kings mentioned in Jeremiah. Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. And you'll see these are the biblical prophets and the biblical books that wrote in that time. So Nahum, writing to the nation of Nineveh at the very end of their ministry or their, their time, uh, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Joel, Jeremiah. So here's our, our book of Jeremiah. And then, of course, Lamentations would be written right at the end of his ministry here. You see the temples destroyed in 586. Okay, does that make sense? Helpful? And then these are what we call the exilic books or the books that are written during the exile. So part of Ezekiel, uh, the end of Obadiah, and then, of course, the book of Daniel being the one that we know um, most... Uh, most clearly, I bet. So, okay. And then, you know, Pastor Terry's over here with Zechariah, where Zerubbabel is going to rebuild the temple. So, Zechariah is over here, uh, if you're following in Terry's sermon series. So, that gives us a little bit of context of where we're at in the biblical times. Okay. So, back to your notes there the history. Um, this is interesting. You don't need to turn there, but, but check this out maybe this afternoon. Way, way back in the book of Joshua, just listen, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to what God tells the people way back in that second generation of Israelites who had come out of uh, Egypt under Joshua's ministry. Listen to what God's going to say through Joshua to the people way, way back then. He says this, um, It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring you up, bring you upon, bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And when you transgress the covenant of your God which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. 800 years before the Babylonian captivity, God, through Joshua, told the people, by the way, I hate to tell you, here's what's going to happen. 
you're not going to be faithful and God is going to have to discipline you to a point that Israel doesn't exist. And then, of course, he goes on, as the other prophets do, and says, and yet there will be a restoration, yet there will be a future. Yes, the promise of the Abrahamic covenant still are there, and God will keep a remnant. But 800 years before all this, God told the people, you're going to be faithless enough that God is going to have to wipe you off the planet temporarily. Um, And that's what he did in the Babylonian captivity. So Jeremiah preached the people, warning them to repent. We, we see that. The destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians happens, uh, again, starts in 605, concludes in, in 586. There are uh, really four places in the Bible you can go look at that, uh, Second Kings, Jeremiah, Second Chronicles, and the book of Lamentations itself that describe the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And, of course, we see from the book of Lamentations and Jeremiah that Jeremiah actually witnessed the destruction of the city. And that's what he writes about in Lamentations. Uh, again, so if we think about the timeline here, we're right in this range. Here's our kings. Here's Jeremiah's ministry. So 605, this is when that first wave of um, attacks come. And then it concludes in 586. Where is that? 586 is roughly where. be like right in here. Okay. Oh, no, excuse me, right here. 586, right here where the temple is destroyed. Okay, Okay. so just a timeline. God, Jeremiah is called by God about 625 B.C. Babylon begins invading Judah about 605 B.C. Babylon penetrates the walls of Jerusalem and destroys it in 586. And then you remember, um, as people are dying and being carried off to Babylon and Jerusalem is being destroyed, the temple is being destroyed, uh, the Babylonians find Jeremiah. They find the prophet, and, and it's an interesting story. You can go back to Jeremiah chapter 43 and read about it, but essentially what happened was uh, he is forced not to go to Babylon, but actually to go to Egypt. And um, so in 583, three years after the Babylonian uh, captivity starts there in, in Jerusalem, Jeremiah leaves, and he, um, he probably dies in Egypt, as best as we can tell. Uh, but he was spared having to go to Babylon. So anyway, really interesting. You can read about that in Jeremiah if you're curious. Okay, so let's look, at, if you're in Jeremiah, go back to Lamentations. And let me just show you a little bit about the book and then we'll, we'll call it a morning here. One of the really, really amazing things, if you are into literature and you get excited about poetry and uh, songs, and if, if that's your thing, you need to study Lamentations. If poetry isn't your thing, if you slept through poetry like I did in school, um, Lamentations is your book. Why? Because God wrote it. And if God wrote it, we need to pay attention to it. But it's actually, it's actually really amazing. It's a really amazing book. Um, all of us have heard the term acrostic, right? An acrostic is a... Um, an artistic device, a, a poetic literary device where we take a word and we, we build off of it. Like, so I could take my son's name, Eric, A-R-I-C, and I could make an acrostic. Awesome. Relentless. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you. Uh, and... Uh, uh, what's our... 
Oh, we passed our A-R-I-C. What's C? Caring. Caring. Capable. Cool. Anyway, okay, so that, that's an acrostic, right? So, so here, this is, the, the book of Lamentations is built around acrostics. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 are all acrostics, meaning not, not acrostics like a person's name, but an acrostic working through the letters of the alphabet. So verse 1 starts with A, verse 2 starts with B, verse 3 starts with the letter C, all the way through. And if you're looking at the arithmetic, you're saying, hey, uh, there's only 22 verses in chapter 1. Shouldn't there be 26? Because there are 26 letters in the alphabet. Well, in the English alphabet, we have 26 letters. In the Hebrew alphabet, we have how many? 22. Okay, so this is kind of cool here. So well, let's, let's go to Hebrew grammar school, can we? So this is our Hebrew alphabet, and you say that looks kind of strange. Those are not English letters, obviously. These are Hebrew letters. Uh, they come from actually a, a, a Phoenician script and background. And if you want to nerd out on, on the background of alphabets and stuff like that, we can do that. Um, but these are, remember, uh, the Hebrew alphabet, uh, the Hebrew works right to left. So we start on the right side and work left rather than left to right. So these are the first three letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And they're listed there. Uh, the Aleph, the Beit, the Gimel, the Dalet, uh there. And so you can see, so this is Lamentations chapter 1 in Hebrew. I know you can't read that, but you can see that the letter A, the first letter there, is the first letter in verse 1, right? And the letter B there is the first letter in the second verse. And the letter, it's actually G, uh, they go A, B, G, A, B, G, C. Uh, so you can see there it is, right? So it just follows the letters, the order of the Hebrew alphabet. Does that make sense? So chapter 1's like that, chapter 2's like that, chapter 4's like that, chapter 3 does that, but every letter gets three verses instead of one in chapter 3. So chapter 3 is how many verses long? Quick math, quick math. 66, right? 22 times 3. Very good. And now what's interesting, <laughs> I love this, this is so exciting. Um, we get to chapter 5, and it's different. Hmm. We'll figure out why that is, right? Anytime you got structure like this, and then it's different. Now, now, let me say this. In a song, if we were writing a song, you know, a country song or a rock song or an easy listening song, whatever you like, write, if we get to the bridge or there's some part of the song where the chord progression changes or the tone changes or there's instruments added or instruments taken away, what does it do to the song? It breaks up the rhythm and does what? Maybe focuses on it. I'm giving you some hints here, okay? You musicians are going to have to help us with all of this as we analyze it. But it's really interesting. What's, well, the other thing that's interesting is that, remember I told you the, the, the title is How, right? So watch this. Chapter 1, How! Chapter 2, How! Chapter 3, I... Chapter 3 is the most personal chapter because Jeremiah goes from saying, I don't get it out there, to I'm struggling within here. Chapter 4, he goes back to how, and then I love this, guys. He gets to chapter 5 and he says, remember. Remember. And you'll... I want to connect all the dots for you right now, but I'm not. I'm going to leave it there for you just to, to think about, and then we'll, we'll learn it all together, okay? So what does lamentation actually mean? I've given you... Uh, a definition of lamentation or, or lament. This is right from what the actual language of the Bible means. To express sorrow or grief, especially over one's sins. 
to express sorrow or grief in a song. So Lamentations has this correlation with music in the Bible. Uh, to mourn specifically for someone. So not just sorrow or, or grief in general or grief over my sins in particular, but to mourn over somebody who has died, who has made a foolish choice, who has gone astray from the faith, something like that, right? And often those expressions of grief and sorrow and mourning are directed toward God. And that's what the Bible is going to do, is it's going to say, respond like this and do it in the context of your relationship before God. Does that make sense? So that's lamenting here. Now, now I know many of you heard, isn't lamenting a form of sanctified complaining? We'll talk about that in the future. Okay, We'll get there. And the last thing I want to just remind you of is that many of our psalms in the Bible are what are called psalms of lament. And we looked at some of these already. Psalms of Lament are songs which express concern, uh, uh, sorrow, or grief to God. Uh, those psalms can be corporate, like Psalm 12. You read Psalm 12, and it's collective. The psalmist is saying, we, and our, and us, because he's representing the nation of Israel in his grief. Whereas Psalm 13, the one we read this morning, is personal. He's saying, I'm struggling. I'm having difficulty. I don't understand. Um, now, now, here's the thing I want you to see, and we, we saw this in our psalm in Psalm 13. The psalms often fo- follow a pattern. Uh, element number one, turning to God for help. Element number two, expression of a concern, a sorrow, a grief, or a dilemma. Uh, element number three, asking God to intervene and help. And then four, trusting God and some sort of reaffirmation of His character, His word, or particular promises. Does that make sense? Not every psalm of lament follows that pattern, but many of them do. Okay, Turning to God, expression of something to God, the uh, asking for God to intervene, and then a reaffirmation of His character, His word, or some particular promise that the psalmist is focusing on. And, and that, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that actually is helpful, isn't it? Because you'll notice that is actually part of the divinely inspired pattern when we're struggling, um, you know, I, I did Psalm 56 a couple of weeks ago, right? One of the questions in Psalm 56 is, where do you turn? Where do you turn in your sorrow or fear or whatever it is? And many of us are turning to God last instead of turning to God first. Or we're turning to other things to help us that actually don't actually help us. They actually hurt us. So the first element is, of course, turn to God, and then it progresses from there. Okay? And... Uh, Again, uh, I, I, I sort of already did the example in Psalm 13 where you see that, you know, turning to God, expression of a concern. How long is this going to happen? How long are my enemies going to win? Uh, help God intervene, do something. And then at the very end of the psalm, he reaffirms his trust in God. He reaffirms his, the character of God that God will indeed, uh, God will indeed uh, be true to him and true to his word. He says, I've trusted in your loving kindness My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Okay? Uh, Well, I'm I'm just getting started. But I, I hope that you see how incredibly helpful this book can be to us. And it can offer a, a, um, a help from God in our most difficult moments 
to take those unpleasant emotions that we often feel and learn how to turn them into occasions of worship that actually draw us closer to God. Okay, so my name's Keith. I'm going to be your tour guide this fall, and I can't wait to study Lamentations. Just so you know, we're going to study the book of Lamentations, but we're going to take little side trips, little day trips from Lamentations and look at some of the Psalms of Lament and some other areas. So we walk away not just with understanding the book, but understanding the broader concept of of lamenting, I hope. So that's my plan. So, all right, let me pray. Father, thank you for um, this amazing book that even though it's about a, a sad subject and um, even grieving and mourning and lamenting are not things that we typically get excited to study, but we thank you that you know this is, this is necessary because of the difficulties and sins and sufferings of our world and, and that you want to give us a roadmap to find you and to pursue you in the midst of our sorrows and griefs. So, Lord, we want to learn from our older brother in the faith, Mr. Jeremiah, who was no stranger to suffering and uh, was faithful to you. And uh, we're just excited to glean from this book that we might learn to worship you and to draw near to you in our most difficult moments. We're grateful for your love and care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.